Okay, good morning everyone. We haven't changed plan. We are looking at Leviticus this morning, but the reading from Mark 7 is where we'll end up um, in a few minutes' time. So keep something in Mark 7 so you can find it nice and easily. In fact, in Mark 5 would be helpful, but come back to Leviticus chapter 11 and we'll be working through or across those chapters. Um, Before we do that though, two things. First thing is, last week we looked at um, 2 Peter chapter 2, a passage that talks about false teachers. And I got a bit carried away. We, we, we talked about Balaam, and I told you that Balaam was an Israelite. And it's been pointed out to me that, no, he's not. So there you go. It's humbling for me. I made a big blunder. And it's a you know, reminder for you to listen to what's said from the front and weigh it up against what you read in the Bible. And that's good for all of us. Um, second thing is, I forgot to point out last week as well that in the notices there's a little box down the bottom for a youth group with three questions there, basically getting you to think about one thing that's interesting in the sermon or in the passage, one question to keep thinking through, and one thing to pray about, which should lead into thinking about application as well. So that's there just to help in listening to the sermons. And it was, came out of us talking about um, year six joining into church after finishing KPC Kids next year and helping them transition in. So tell us what you think. Another thing that came out of um, last week was that I should be using slides more. So I got doubly rebuked last week. Anyway, let's pray that none of that would distract us from thinking about Leviticus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would humble us as we look at your word now. Lord, please help us to submit ourselves to your authority and to learn to live for you, we ask. We pray that your standards would be our standards. Lord, please help us grow in our appreciation of everything that Jesus has done for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're not going out wearing that, are you? Surely you're not going out wearing that. Please don't go out wearing socks and Birkenstocks. I thought that when the kids were growing up that we'd find ourselves at a point where we'd have to say to them, don't go out wearing that. But in fact, what happens is the kids tell me what I shouldn't wear. And it's sometimes things which they're very comfortable. It just feels so appropriate and so fitting. But to do that would be embarrassing to the kids. There's a lesson there, isn't there, in you know, doing what pleases a member of your family. It's not just about you. Um, there's another illustration along the same kind of lines. We we do have our standards, don't we? Our expectations of what's expected of us. My grandfather, he owned a dry cleaning business. He had seven kids. They all went to school. When they went to school, my mother tells us they had to have a specs band, properly pressed uniform all the time. If they got messed up during the day, they went home to change because to be a Lundberg was all about the business. It's more than just about you. I mean, that's the kind of lesson that we've got here as we think about Leviticus. That's the kind of lesson that the people of God needed to learn in Israel. It matters how they behave. It matters what they do because they belong to God. They're part of God's people. God saved them. God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, gathered them round Mount Sinai, thousands of them, and told them how to live as his people, holy to him, devoted to him. To be holy, it means to be separated. You know, um, when you, you cook too much dinner and there's leftovers and someone says, well, I'll have that for lunch, they put it in a container and they put their name on it. That is holy, devoted, 
to them. It belongs to them. It's just not for common consumption. It is holy to whoever's name's on the lid. God's people are like that. They are holy to God. They belong to God. And they need to wear a spick and span uniform. They need to not embarrass their name. Um, But you get the point, don't you? God's people need to be holy because he is holy. That's the big lesson that the people of Israel had to learn. The second lesson is similar. It's no one can approach God without being pure, without being clean. So a couple of weeks ago, in Leviticus chapters 10, uh, 1 to 10, we saw it is no small thing to approach God. If you're going to approach God, you need to do it on his terms, by his protocol. The people of Israel had to learn to come to God the way he wanted them to, with multiple sacrifices offered in an appropriate manner. And so when you look across um, Leviticus 11 to 15, it continues with these lessons. As we look across chapters 11 to 15, what we see is rule upon rule upon rule. Many, many rules. These rules, they have a purpose. They teach what it means to be clean, what it means to be pure, what it means to be holy, what it means to be consecrated, what it means to belong to God and be dedicated to God and not common. And these rules, they teach um, if you are unclean, you can't approach God. And we're going to cover you know, five chapters in one sweep and in short time, so we're not going to cover all the details. We're doing like the, the aerial view, the Google Earth type view of these chapters. Um, and as we're doing that, we've got in the back of our mind... Jesus and the huge difference that Jesus makes and the significance of his sacrifice. So start back at the beginning of chapter 11. Chapter 11 contains a load of rules about what can be eaten and what can't be eaten. So 11 verse 1 goes, the Lord or Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and that chews the cud. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a split hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. So you can take camel off the menu, no eating camels. It's not a great loss, I don't think. Neither have really ever tried it. But no bacon? No bacon and eggs? No BLT? No Caesar salad, no pork belly, no pancakes with bacon. It's a fairly big ask, isn't it? But that's what these people are to do. That's what they're to be like. Um, Looking further ahead, in 11 verse 9, you've got creatures that live in the water. Only eat those that have fins and scales. So there goes prawns and crab and calamari rings. If you look further ahead, down in 11 verse 13, there's birds to avoid. Down in 11 verse 20, insects to avoid. So if you, if you were a Lundberg, if you were in my grandfather's family, it mattered what you wear, what you wore rather. Here, if you're an Israelite, you need to be particular about what you eat. It makes you stand out, makes you holy, makes you different. But there's more rules. It's not just about food. There's also, they also needed to avoid dead things. So um, if you think about it, death entered the world as a consequence of sin, didn't it? It's it's not a good thing. Um, Anything that a dead body comes into contact with becomes unclean or impure. 
So if you look at 11 verse 26, if you touch a carcass, you'll be unclean. If you look at 11 verse 32, when one of you, when one of them dies and falls on something, that article, whether it, uh, whatever its use, will be unclean. Whatever is made of wood, cloth, or whether it's made of wood, cloth, hide, or sackcloth, if a, uh, something dies and lands on this object, it becomes unclean. Um, there was a time at boarding school where we found a fly in the porridge one morning. We took it back to the kitchen. They scooped it out and gave it back to us. That's... The other thing is, though, things which are made unclean can be made clean again. So if you look at 11 verse 32, the second half of the verse, put it in water, it will be unclean till evening, and then it will be clean. That's another key lesson to be learned in Leviticus that I forgot to put in the sermon outline. Um, God has provisions for making things clean, for making things pure. Um, a bit of an aside here. Some people look at all these rules, particularly the food rules and the rules about death, and they think maybe God gave these rules to his people so that, you know, for health benefits, keep the, um, the health benefit cost down or something, keep the community healthy. There may be that part to it, but that's not the point. The point here is that these people are to be clean or pure before God on his terms. The point is they are to be living to please God and what pleases God is for them to do these things. So chapter 11, there's a load of rules. You go down into chapter 12, there's, it continues with more rules. In chapter 12, there's instructions about what to do after giving birth to a child. So if you look at 12 verse 1, after giving birth to a child, um, or to a son, the mother is unclean for seven days. In verse 4, she needs to wait 33 days to be purified. I'm guessing this is um, to do with the fact that there's blood involved. Um, but I can't explain or give reasons for all these laws that were given to the people of Israel. For example, if you look at verse 5, 12 verse 5, after giving birth to a daughter, she is unclean for two weeks. And she needs to wait 66 days to be purified. Why is it longer if you've had a daughter? We're not told. And so don't get distracted by it. We just don't. We're not told. Turning to chapter 13, there's still more rules. In chapter 13, there's lots to say about skin diseases. So in 13 verse 11, a chronic skin condition makes a person unclean. They've got to be isolated. Um, I've battled eczema since I was little really little. Uh, don't worry, it's under control at the moment. But there's times when it flares up and the skin gets, I scratch it and it opens up. There'd be times when I wouldn't be clean. I couldn't go to the temple. I'd get out of preaching. I might have a bit of a scratch, but anyway, it's under control at the moment, like I say. But look ahead at um, 11 verse 45. Some skin conditions that are contagious, look at this, uh, 45, 13 verse 45, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes let his, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. That is huge. You've got no control over something like this. It's not like you can you know, make your eczema go away. It, this, is, this is huge. You're unclean and so you're cut off. You're sent out of the camp. A long way from other people, but also a long way from God. So in chapter 13, the rules keep going. There's rules about mildew in clothing. In chapter 14, there's rules against mildew in the home. 
there's just so many rules. And then in chapter 15, there's instructions um, to do with bodily discharges. And zoom in on chapter 15, verse 34, because we'll meet a lady like this when we jump to Mark. So have a look at 15, verse 34. Look at what happens for a woman who's already suffering with, with bleeding. In addition to a physical complaint, she's got to t- come to terms with being unclean, impure, and all the implications with that. So 15 verse 25, rather, I think I said 34. 15:25. when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she'll be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as in... Um, as, as is her bed during her monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean during this time. And on it goes. So many rules. And so many ways to become unclean, and ways that are beyond your control. The implications are huge, including social isolation and being unable to approach God. But along the way, you see God is the one who provides ways for people to be made clean again. So looking over these chapters, there's ways um, to make God's people unclean. There's ways to be made clean again. These rules, they cut across all of life, everything you do. Um, I'm sure you know what it's like to have a member of the family, it might be you, who has a dairy issue or a nut allergy or is gluten intolerant. You know how particular you need to be and how you've got to be on the game all the time and watching what you touch and how you cook and how you prepare stuff. For the nation of Israel, it was like that all the time across all of life, not just food. Every person constantly moves from being clean to being unclean, back to being clean. Sometimes it's more difficult than other times. But what these rules, these laws do is they are a reminder that we live in a human body. And this body is not always appropriate or clean or holy. No one is immune from being impure or unclean. And it's God who provides the means to be made acceptable, to be made pure. So these rules serve as a reminder that's who we are. Um, Why did God give these rules to the Israelites? Well, there's at least two places in these chapters where we get a reason. So if you look at um, 11 verse 45, there's the dry cleaning reason. So 11 verse 45, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. You're part of the family. Wear the right uniform. God's holy. You be holy. Verse 45, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I'm holy. The people of God need to reflect the fact that they belong to God. It's something that should just be in the way that they live. It's not just about the rules. It's about seeking to live for God, seeking to please him. It should be built in. Um, There's another reason given. That's down at the end of the passage, 15 verse 31. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. The Israelites, they risk death if they approach God in an unclean state. God has standards. So these rules were to teach that humans are unworthy to approach God. To attempt it would be to disregard God's authority, to disregard God's purity, God's holiness. 
And as you look over these rules across these chapters, and as the Israelites lived them, they served them as they serve us, a, a reminder that humans can't stay clean. I mean, that kept my grandfather in business, didn't it? Dry cleaning the same clothes time and time and time again. But the nation of Israel can't stay holy, can't stay pure. They need to do as God requires of them. So the education in purity here in Leviticus, it's not just for the Israelites. We look at it. God hasn't changed. We learn to understand how massively important it is to live to please God by his standards. And we also look at these rules and realize, yeah, without intervention, without help, we can't approach God. And so we've been reading these laws with Jesus in mind, haven't we? So then if you make the jump across to Mark, um, as I said at the beginning, we need to factor in Jesus. When we come to the New Testament, to Mark's gospel, we see Jesus can make people clean. He's not like anyone else. Anyone else, you know, you, you become unclean and you, you touch someone else. It's contagious almost. It's like the virus. You pass it on. Jesus is the flip side. His cleanness just offloads onto people. All you need to do is touch him, which is what we see in Mark chapter 5. A dead body would make any other person unclean, but Jesus can touch a dead body and bring it back to life again. But turn to Mark chapter 5. Have a look at the lady I hinted at earlier, the lady with a bleeding disorder. The context is Jesus meets Jairus, a synagogue ruler, and his daughter, Jairus' daughter, is dying, and so he pleads with Jesus to come to his home. And you think this story is all about Jairus and his daughter, but in Mark 25, um, Mark 5 verse 24, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' place. Crowds are pressing in around Jesus, and this woman comes alongside. So verse 25 And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, having read Leviticus chapter 15, you can start to appreciate exactly how difficult this woman's situation is. It's not just the physical illness or suffering that she has. She's cut off. She can't even approach God. And verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. It's just one small example, but there it is. Jesus can make people clean where it really matters. This woman is healed just by touching Jesus' clothes. Look what Jesus says to her in verse 34, 5 verse 34. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed. From your suffering. Jesus can make people clean, not just outwardly, but a deep clean all the way in. The people of Israel, they weren't your model students. They wouldn't have got a very good report card at the end of the day. They should have been blown away when they saw this or realized what had happened. The way that Jesus can make people clean, it, it should have knocked their socks off. But no, If you come ahead to chapter 7 of Mark, in Mark chapter 7, we see Pharisees and teachers of the law out to get Jesus, out to trap Jesus. They see Jesus' disciples eating without going through the customary ceremonial washings, and so they confront Jesus. Can you see what's happening here? These, these, These people, their hearts are so hard that rather than seek to be holy, rather than seek to be pleasing to God by doing what God requires, 
they make their own rules up and then make other people follow them. It's just twisted. So Jesus calls them hypocrites. Have a look at it from 5 verse 9. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what he might otherwise have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and you do many things like this. These people, they've missed the point of the laws in Leviticus, haven't they? Rather than see the laws as a way to please God, as a way to behave from the heart in a way that pleases God, they've seen it as a a game of rule-keeping and law-keeping, and they've made up their own laws in addition to them, rules which undermine what God wanted in the first place. Their, Their heart is far from wanting to live for God. And Jesus teaches them, and he teaches us, that it's what's in your heart that matters most. And so if you go to five verse, uh, 7 verse 14, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, who un- and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, is what comes out of a person that defiles them or makes them unclean. It's what is on your heart that matters. The rules in Leviticus, they weren't there for lawyers. Um, they weren't there to keep the lawyers in business. They were there to show Israel that they were unclean, unable to approach God without first being cleaned. And they taught that God provides the means to be made clean. And in Mark's gospel, that's what you see Jesus doing, bringing sinful people to God. Jesus can make sinful hearts pure. And the thing is, it's only Jesus who can do that. So keep thinking about the rest of Mark 7. Um, He continues in verse 17. After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, Just, i.e. in the plain Steve version, are you so stupid? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. There goes the rules in the Old Testament. Think about that. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person, make them unclean, make them unable to approach God. Leviticus shows that without intervention, we're all unworthy of approaching God. And Jesus shows that the problem is in here, in your heart. The place we need cleaning and healing is in our hearts. So this education in purity education in being pure in the, in the desert of Mount Sinai, it continues. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were struggling to come to terms with it. And here's the thing, Jews still don't get it. I just thought I'd give you a, a fun little example. If you were to look up this website, um, sydneyeruf.org.au, I checked, it's still there. It talks about this boundary that they formed around the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Some of it is power lines that are already existing, some of it's little bits of wire that they've added, so that basically anyone who lives within this fence, this virtual fence, well, it can't be virtual because it is a continuous line, can call that space their home. Can you see an edge to this? When Sabbath comes, you can move around in all that area. 
And so the website says, the Sydney Eref helps make Sabbath observance more pleasant, especially for families with young children. The Eref allows them to push a pram, to use a wheelchair or walking frame, or simply to carry house keys, reading glasses or food. Isn't that really cool? You can get around on the Sabbath without breaking the laws that the Jews made up themselves. Doesn't that sound like Mark 7? And we look at it and we, we kind of laugh to ourselves, but we do the same thing, don't we? We work out what we think would be pleasing to God. We turn church attendance into legalism. We make people who come to church behave certain ways because that's what would be pleasing to God, we think. We all do it, don't we? That's what I'm trying to say. We fellow humans share the same heart condition that the people in the desert in, around Mount Sinai had. We can turn good things into legalism. We can conduct ourselves in a way that makes us think that we're reverent by our standards when what really matters is in our hearts. And if you look at Mark 7, verse 21 again, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed. When you look across Leviticus chapters 11 to 15, there's lessons in purity there. None of us are better than anyone else. We're all by nature in need of being made clean. And when you read Leviticus from a New Testament perspective, we know that Jesus can make us clean and pure where it really matters in our heart. And so our lesson in purity continues. We need to keep learning that it's only Jesus that can make us clean. It's through Jesus' death in our place, his, the death of a perfectly innocent man, his obedient sacrifice, and his righteousness transferred to us. It's only that way that we can be clean and acceptable to God. If there was any other way, why would God have sent Jesus? So take care not to introduce more rules. You think about all these rules you see in Leviticus and they've served their purpose. As we read them and understand them, they continue to serve their purpose. But think about this. In Acts chapter 10, Peter had a very difficult lesson to learn. He was told to go and see a Gentile man. And so Peter was resting on the the roof of the place he was staying at in Acts chapter 10 And you'll remember what happened. So Acts chapter 10, verse 10, he, Peter, became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. God can make anything clean. Everything's changed in the New Testament with Jesus. We're not called on to observe those Old Testament laws. But what those laws do is they show us who God is, how holy God is. They show us how important it is that God's people wear clean uniforms that we're holy because we belong to God. And the New Testament shows us the only way to be clean has been provided by God through Jesus. Jesus makes us clean and pure, clean from the heart. 
And Jesus releases us from that, that bondage, like that woman with the bleeding, that bondage from, to slavery and sin and uncleanness. And so as we read and reread Leviticus, it shows us how much we need Jesus. Because without Jesus, we fall short. And without Jesus, we're cut off from God. So let's keep thinking about things, uh, these things. I'll pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the way that we let our sinful hearts lead us away from you. We're sorry for the way that we stop trusting you and humbly obeying you. Lord, we're sorry for how we stop seeking to live for you and everything. Lord God, reading Leviticus shows us how unworthy we are. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his perfectly pure life. Thank you for his undeserved death in our place. Thank you for the righteousness that he has transferred to us as we put our faith in him. Lord, please keep working in us to make us your people, holy for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.